into our series this morning. This is the conclusion of our, our, our seven-week series that we've been in called Unshakable. Uh, we've talked about all kinds of characters from the Old Testament, from David to Samson to Deborah, Elijah, Elisha. Today, we're talking about Daniel. Daniel. And maybe when you're a kid or sometime through your, through your life, you, you've heard about Daniel and the lion's den. That's the Daniel we're talking about. But this whole series, we're, we're talking about what does it look like to be unshakable, to live an uncompromised life? That's a huge question. We ask ourselves all kinds of questions in life, don't we? Right? What should I wear today? What should I have for dinner? Right? We ask ourselves all kinds of crazy questions. But listen to this list of Google's most searched how-to questions. Right? I'm, I love to cook. I love to get in the kitchen and create something. That's just something that kind of is a de-stressor for me. I love it. And so, man, my Google is like, how do I make such and such, right? But this is the global top 10 list of how-tos, what people have searched for on Google. Number one, how to tie a tie. Which I'm like, seriously? Who even wears ties anymore? Uh, I know some of you do. Maybe you have to to go work. Maybe you just like to dress up. My brother was like that growing up. He's wearing a tie and a trench coat and carrying a briefcase to school. And we're all like, what? But hey, you do you, do you right? How about number two? How to kiss. Now, some of you, you know you've Googled it. Uh, because you, when you're a kid, you're just wondering, how does this work? You know, when this comes up in my life, I want to be prepared but that's number two, how to kiss. Number three, closely related, how to get pregnant. Now, I'm not sure that humanity needed Google for this. I think we figured it out before Google came along. But just in case you need it, Google is there for you. How about number four, how to lose weight, right? Number five, how to draw. Now, I could just say, honestly, this is one that I have never and will never Google. I'm a horrible artist. I can't draw a stick figure. Um, and so that's not for me. So I think that's one, the, the one on the list that I literally cannot relate to. How about this? Number six, how to make money. Ding, 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 ding. I'm surprised that's not, not number one, right? Number seven, how to make pancakes. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is in the house today. Um, and when we're talking about food, just something stirs inside of me. Yesterday morning, Jolie's like, I want crepes. And I was like, I got you, babe. And so we whip it up and we got the crepes, which are like pancakes times 100, right? And I'm, I'm swirling it around the pan. We're whipping up our fresh whipped cream. We got our raspberries, our Nutella. Any Nutella fans in the house, right? We got our pecans we're sprinkling on there. It was like a gourmet kitchen at the Denbo's for breakfast. And so, but some of you are just like, hey, I just want to, the, the mixed water with the pancake mix and, and I'm good. How to make pancakes. Number eight, how to write a cover letter, right? Got to get a job, got to get that cover letter done. Number nine, here we go, back to food, how to make French toast. Love that. <laughs> Love it. Pancakes and French toast, two of the world's top ten needs. And then number ten. Close second to another one on this list, how to lose belly fat. <laughs> and so, guys, we ask all kinds of questions. We want to know how to do all kinds of different things, right? But unfortunately, 
our question of this series didn't make the top 10. How to live an uncompromised, unshakable life. And I think the question for Daniel's time and the situation that he found himself in was, how do I live a holy life in an unholy world? And just like it was true for Daniel, it's true for you and me today. Listen, when you ask God how to serve him, how to live for him, when you ask God how to please him, listen, you will always find an answer. No matter how bad the circumstances are, when you say, God, I just want to please you. God, I just want to move your heart. Just like that song said, God, I just want to put a smile on your face. Guess what? That is a prayer that God will always answer. More times we ask, God, get me out of this. More times we ask, God, provide for my needs. More times we ask, God, why? Right? And let me just be honest with you. The why question is one that God doesn't always answer. Why? Because you and I don't always need an explanation. Nor do we deserve one. But what were we put here to do? We were here to worship God. We were here to love God. And we were put here so he could love us. And so the question, God, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I worship you with my life? How can I live for you and live a holy life in an unholy world? I believe that's a question that God is always faithful to answer. And so as we look at the life of, of Daniel, I can only imagine that he had the psalm of David ringing in his ears as he went through his tough circumstances, which we're going to get to here in a minute. But in Psalm 139, it's one of the most powerful psalms, I think, that David wrote. And so if you want to maybe jot that down, Psalm 139, and maybe go read it and study it this week. But at the end of the psalm, David says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. How many of you want God to test you? And yet, this is a prayer that David prayed. God, test me. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Love that. The openness, the vulnerability, the rawness of that prayer of David inviting God to shine a spotlight on his life and say, God, do what only you could do. And as we look at the life of Daniel this morning, I believe this is the heart, the softness in Daniel's heart that he had that enabled him to live a holy life in an unholy world. And so the first thing that we're going to see from D Daniel's life this morning is that if we're going to live an unholy or a live a holy life in an unholy world, then we need to not blame God but love God. So number 1, don't blame God, love God. Don't blame God, love God. In Daniel's 1, 6 through 7, we see that there were four dudes, four guys, friends, named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were four of the young men chosen. Now, chosen sounds like a really cool word here, but just listen up. They were chosen all from the tribe of Judah, and the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, 
Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So listen, Daniel, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah, was plucked up from his home. He was taken into captivity to another country called Babylon. Just imagine you're going about your life, everything's cool, and all of a sudden your home country gets invaded. And because you are pretty great stuff, Daniel was, he was, he was educated, he was good looking, he was a good guy. And because he was a good guy, he got taken away from his family, taken away from his, from his home, and put into service of a king of another country. Not only that, but they took their names and gave them new names. They took the identity that God had given them, their Hebrew names, and gave them the identity of another culture and another place that was not godly. If there's anything that symbolizes trying to live a holy life in an unholy world, I think it's when your identity gets robbed from you because of the culture that you live in. And this is what was happening to Daniel and his friends. And so Babylon, the, the king and the, the, the leaders in Babylon, they take these four guys along with a bunch of others and they try to completely change and reassign their identity. At this point in Daniel's life, he was just a boy, 14 to 16 years old. He's taken captive. And at first you could think, well, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? And our first response would probably be maybe to blame God. God, why in the world could this ever happen to me? But see, Daniel and these boys getting taken to this other country and, and Israel literally begin, begin, uh, getting taken into captivity was actually the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. It was discipline for Israel's disobedience. And so this was all part of God's plan, right? Now, I'm not saying that every bad thing that ever happens to you in life is God's plan. It's not. Some of the things that happen to you in life are just a direct re result of sin and evil. But sometimes there's bigger things at work in our lives and things happen and circumstances change. And you and I have a choice to make. Are we going to blame God or are we going to love God? It's as simple as that. We get to either blame God for our circumstances or we can love him through our circumstances. And so Daniel gets taken into captivity and altogether, listen to this, he serves as chief, chief advisor in the royal courts of various rulers for over 60 years. Can you imagine getting taken from your home at 14 or 16 and never going home? He had a lot of chances to blame God and question. But he remained steadfast. He remained devoted to the Lord. Even though he was never delivered out of captivity. Now, everything wasn't bad for Daniel when he got to Babylon. They were actually, these, these young men were actually treated very well. They were given great training. They were given lots of education. They had a roof over their head. They had great food to eat, right? The, the Babylonians were very intentional and purposeful with their indoctrination efforts of these Hebrew boys. 
And their efforts were meant to erase any desire to return or remain faithful to their former life. They received every imaginable privilege. What a test, right? That you get what you need. You get what you want, maybe. They had every chance to just be like, well, I'm just going to ease into the comfort of this Babylonian life and just enjoy myself, right? But they didn't do that. Here's a quick question for you. Do you even notice when the world is trying to steal your God-given identity? Do you even notice? I'm sure that for Daniel and these guys, it was pretty in their face. They got plucked up. They got put somewhere else, given a new name, new food, new, new, new everything. But for you and I, do you notice when the world is trying to take the identity that God gives you and move it into something else? Listen, what seems like freedom to a citizen of this world can seem like a prison to a citizen of heaven. What can seem like freedom to a citizen of this world, getting to do whatever they want, getting status and privilege and prestige, almost celebrity status these boys might have gotten because they were in the king's courts, they were serving on the king's staff. It was a test. But what can seem like freedom to the world will seem like prison to a citizen of heaven. So the question for us today, when we, when we get in these kind of situations, are we going to blame God or are we going to say, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to put you first, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the comfort. You know, when, no matter what side of the spectrum it's on, am I going to serve you? And so instead of why me, Daniel obviously asked a question, what, what can I learn? How can I add value? How can I glorify God in this circumstance? I love what John Maxwell says. He says, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Daniel and his friends had a chance to do one or the other. Change was not, not optional. It was going to happen. But going into this new life in Babylon, were they going to grow? Were they going to continue to serve Jesus? Or were they just going to capitulate to the culture around them and just go with the flow? Daniel, though, he chose to focus on what he could do rather than what was taken from him. He chose to see his life as one of abundance and not scarcity. Instead of thinking about all the things he lost, he just chose to love God in every moment. And that's why I love his story so much. The second thing that we see in Daniel's life is that we need to choose our diet wisely. Choose our diet wisely. And so Daniel and his buddies, they, they get in the king's court as young men, and all of a sudden the king instructs the chief of, of, of all these boys to feed them the food from the king's table, this special food. The only problem was the food was, eating that food was against the beliefs and laws of the Hebrews. It was food that they weren't supposed to eat. It was food that was deemed unclean for them, right? And so Daniel and his friends had a choice to make. Now, this is a very literal choice. It's like either eat it or not. And it was very, very black and white in their face, something that they knew for them was wrong. I think you and I face these kind of choices all, all the time. 
are we going to, and it usually doesn't have to do with food. It usually has to do with, are we going to watch it? Are we going to listen to it? Are we going to engage in it? If you're younger, if, you, if you're a student, maybe it's, am I going to go to the party? Am I going to engage in those conversations? Am I going to, um, you know, act that way on social media? What am I going to do? Am I going to engage in the same diet that the world is trying to feed me? But listen, this stand that Daniel took, it was way less about food and way more about pleasing God. So why are you making the diet choices that you're making? Why? Right? It was all about the why for Daniel. He wanted to please God. That's why he made the diet choice he made. What are you eating? What are you watching? What are you listening? What are you reading? What are you drinking? What relationships are you drinking from? What entertainment are you using to refuel your life? Daniel was very specific about what he, what he was going to use to refuel his life. In Daniel 1.8, it says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Right? And then in verse 10, it says, there, so they're talking to their boss, the guy that's kind of overseeing their training. And the boss says to Daniel and his friends, he says, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And so this is kind of easy to pass over, but listen, because of Daniel's choice to put God first, it was creating a strain in the relationship between him and his boss. It was creating a strain in this relationship that brought the whole concept of obeying God to another level. Have you ever been there where saying yes to Jesus maybe put a little strain on a relationship? Have you been there before? I want you to know that when you say yes to Jesus, it's a very good possibility that it's going to create some strain on some relationships in your life. And this particular one was very, very, very um, uh, tangible. That this servant of the king said, hey, if you do this and if this doesn't go well, I'm going to lose my life. Can you imagine the stakes that that put, uh, the, the, how the stakes were raised for Daniel? That he's like, oh man, if I get this wrong, if God doesn't show up for me, if God doesn't help me out here, this guy's going to lose his life. I tell you what, when you follow Jesus, the stakes get higher. The stakes get higher in your life. And his personal commitment affected others. Am I willing, are you willing to make the right decision even when the stakes are high. David obviously had the relational intelligence to dissent, to disagree with his leaders, and maintain influence at the same time. Because obviously, this guy let him do his little experiment. Uh, Daniel and his friends decided they were just going to eat vegetables and water for 10 days, and it would be a test. But I love it that we see that Daniel had this quality that he was going to disagree without being disagreeable. Isn't that that amazing thing to be able to do? That you can disagree with people without, let's just say, being a jerk. This is something we all need to learn how to do. That I can have a different point of view as you. I can have, I can stay true to my beliefs, but maintain the influence that I've built with people. In verse 15, we see that at the end of 10 days, 
Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. God showed up for them, right? And to respond to this, I just want to point you back to last week's message. When we follow God's call, you will find God's power. God showed up for them. They were more healthy. They were strong. And they were allowed to continue their diet. Verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Man, I love because Daniel and his friends were consistent because they said yes to Jesus, that God empowered them with more. And that's such a good promise for you that when you stay consistent in your relationship with Jesus, when you say yes, even when it's hard, when you choose your diet wisely, you're feeding your life with God's word, you're being faithful in your times of devotion, you're being a person that's consistent instead of somebody that is just tossed around like a ship in the waves, that God is going to show up for you. He will. Too many times we bounce from one thing to the next. We're so inconsistent, right? We ignore the inconsistencies in our, in our life. But consistency in Daniel's life and his obedience to God made him effective in life. This is a connection that we have to make, church. If I want to be effective in life, it's going to be directly tied to my, the consistency in my relationship with God. And so after this, Daniel and his, and, his, and his friends continue to elevate. They continue to add value to the king that they were serving there in Babylon. Daniel interprets the, uh, uh, the king's dream. He gets promoted. He gets made, uh, they make him ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all the wise men. Daniel could have been tempted now to be like, I made it, Right? Here I am, I've arrived on the top of the pile. Surely this was God's blessing. And maybe now that I've, I've arrived to this position, things are going to ease up on me a little bit, right? But listen, in Daniel's life, the tests kept coming. The tests kept coming. The third thing that we see if we, wanna, if we want to live a holy life in an unholy world is that we need to have this attitude. If we want to be unshakable, then we're going to serve God even if he doesn't. And you can fill in the blank after that with anything you want. Even if he doesn't, give me what I think I need. Even if he doesn't show up like, he th like I think he should show up, then I'm just going to say, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. So let's set, set the stage. King Nebuchadnezzar had built this ginormous statue of himself. And he commanded all the people, hey, bow down to this statue and worship me, right? And he told everybody, hey, anybody who doesn't bow down to this statue is going to get thrown into a fiery furnace and burned to death. Pretty black and white, yes or no kind of circumstance. And so we see... In Daniel 3.6, he says, anyone who refuses to obey me will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Pretty much in your face, obey or die, right? Thank goodness that most of us don't usually face that kind of ultimatum. And so in Daniel 3.16-18, through 18, 
Daniel's three, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say this to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Yeah. Is that even if he doesn't attitude present in my life? Is it present in your life? Is there that little bit of swagger in your relationship with God that you're like, you know what? No matter what, even if he doesn't, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm not backing down, no matter what it costs. I love that. They acknowledged the possibility that God might not. I love that. Is your service to Christ contingent on his behavior? Is it? Because last time I checked, when Jesus went to the cross and died for you and for me, it wasn't contingent on your behavior. It wasn't contingent on your obedience. It says when, when we were still sinners, he died for us. And so we see these three guys having that same kind of heart. That, hey, I'm, I'm just going to serve you, God, no matter what. Even if you don't show up for me, I'm still going to say yes. Love that. This, it didn't deter them from their faith. What does it say in Hebrews 11.1? That faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. These guys had faith. They had faith. They had this attitude that said, if God never does another thing for me, I'm still, still going to serve him. What he's already done for me is worth everything I've got for the rest of my life. Church, I want to challenge you. Can you say that for yourself? God, if you never ever do another thing for me, if you never provide another dollar, if you never provide another ounce of anything in my life, I'll still serve you. Too many times we treat God like a vending machine, right? And we're just like, God, what else can I get out of you? But man, what we see here is a, is a different attitude model. And even if he doesn't attitude. Now, I totally understand that some of you might not be at a place in your journey yet where you're ready to trust Jesus with that kind of faith. And that's okay. We see throughout the Gospels that his disciples were at different places in their journeys. And, you know, for instance, Thomas doubted. And, and it wasn't until he saw the scars in Jesus's hands and side that he was ready to trust Jesus with that kind of faith. And so I want you to know Jesus is patient with you, but he's worth it. And what we see in the example of these three young guys is that God shows up. He does. Not always exactly how you want him to or when you want him to, but he shows up. In Daniel 3, 22, it says that because of the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace... The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Man, what a powerful image. That those who said yes to Jesus were protected. But those who didn't say yes to God were burned up. 
What an image of the choice in our life. You see, we're all choosing. We're all choosing where we're going to go, where we're going to spend eternity. And this is just a, a foreshadowing of what it looks like in your life when you say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. In verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Most theologians believe that that fourth man walking around in the fire was a pre-incarnate Jesus. That it, Jesus showed up walking around in the fire with them, right? Delivering them from the hands of the king. So what happens after that? It calls him out of the fire. In verse 30, it says the king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar tells everybody the God of Daniel is the God, right? It's a huge testimony to God's faithfulness. I think the question for us, church, is are we ready to hold on, to hold out, and to keep serving Jesus long enough to see that kind of harvest of influence in our life? Right? The fourth thing that we see from the life of Daniel, and we'll close with this this morning, is that if I'm going to live a holy life in an unholy world, then I've got to have a commitment to stay in it for the long haul. I've got to commit to stay in it for the long haul. You see, when you read through a book of the Bible, it's sometimes hard to see or notice the context. And what might take you and I 60 minutes to read, so you might read a few chapters of Daniel, and it, it, you might spend an hour there reading the story and taking it in. But those 60 minutes that it took you to read the story took the characters in the story 60 years to live, right? And sometimes when you just read from story to story, it's, it's hard to see that context. But I just want you to, to feel the weight of that a little bit, that Daniel was being tested over and over and over for over 60 years. And so by chapter 6, Daniel is on his third king that he's serving. He was between 70 and 80 years old. But I have to think, I have to believe that in his mind, in Daniel's mind, he was just getting started, right? He was just getting rolling. You know, I'm 40 years old right now, but a few weeks ago at youth camp, I was out there running around with all these teenagers, and um, I got to play some ultimate frisbee with the other counselors. And so my body's 40 years old, but in my mind, I was like 18 again, right? And I'm running around thinking I'm 18, and the next day, my body just about wanted to fall apart, you know what I mean? And so I think spiritually there's a little bit of that in Daniel, that he might be 80 years old, but on the inside, man, his commitment to follow Jesus and to do whatever it takes to serve him is just as strong as it was when he was 16. Listen, old age on earth is infancy in eternity. Let's get that in your heart. Old age on earth is infancy in eternity. And I think Daniel had this mindset because at this ripe old age, he still had this conviction that this was not his home, right? I saw a post on Facebook this week and yes, Facebook is still good for some things. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot of junk, but every once in a while you see something that encourages you, 
And a buddy of mine posted this. He said, he said, for the believer, this is as bad as it gets. It only gets better. But for the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. And I think Daniel had this perspective that, man, because he trusted God, hey, it can't get any worse than this. It's only going to get better on the other side of eternity. And so why not serve Jesus now? Right? Why not? And so this test that comes in Daniel chapter 6, to Daniel it was just like just another test. Just another walk in the park. Right? I can, I can imagine that he might have been tempted to just enjoy the fruits of his labor. To enjoy the fruits of being this, this, this leader in Babylon. But he didn't. In Daniel 6.4 it says that the other administrators and high officials began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. What a great prayer for you and me. God, make me faithful. God, make me responsible. God, make me always trustworthy. You want to pray something this week? You want to pray something that you want to get deep down inside of your bones, that you want it to fuel you in life? Man, make that your prayer this week. God, make me trustworthy. Make me faithful. Help me to never, ever get, give up. Amen? Love that. And so what happens? These guys conspire against Daniel, and they go to the king, and they say, hey, let's make a law that for the next number of days, everybody in the whole kingdom has to pray to you and only you, or else they get thrown into the lion's den. And so the king's like, that's a great plan. They totally played to his ego. So they sign it into law, and then these guys that had this conniving plan, they went to watch Daniel. Because they knew that every single day, Daniel would go to the window in his house or apartment, wherever he lived. He would open it towards Jerusalem, and he would kneel down, and he would pray. And so just like every other day, because remember, he was consistent. He was in it for the long haul. He was the same person regardless of where he was or what he was doing. He went to his normal place of prayer and began to pray. And so these conniving associates of Daniel go to the king and tell the king, hey, Daniel's praying to God just like always. Now the king loved Daniel. And at this moment he saw the wickedness of these guys' plan. And the Daniel didn't want to throw, or, or the king didn't want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, but he had no choice. And so he throws Daniel in the lion's den, comes back the next morning, and of course God saved Daniel one more time. Amazing story. I encourage you to go, to, go, go spend some time in Daniel this week, just like I've encouraged you throughout this series. Read the story. Take it in for yourself. But here's what I want to point out. Deliverance from the lions was cool. And that's the story that, you know, I heard in kids' church growing up. You know, back then we had the flannel graph and it was awesome and the really cool pictures. And, and it was great. And I loved it. And how cool is it to go into the Daniels or go into the lion's den and not get eaten? I still remember the picture. It's like Daniels all like lounging with the lions and hanging out and, and just chilling. 
And I think there's like uh, some TV show like that these days where the dude just hangs out. Maybe it's Tigers. I don't know. But, you know, and he, so you just get that, that, that mental picture. And that's awesome. That's cool. And it's like, wow. But I think when I read this story that Daniel's determination to stay in it for the long haul was the real thing to celebrate. You see, him getting delivered from the lions was the fruit of years and years and years of consistency and being trustworthy. You see, when we read stories like this, we're like, God, I I need that deliverance moment. God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to deliver me from the lions. God, I need you to, to deliver me from the fiery furnace. But what we see is that God showed up for these guys, not just for that moment, but these guys showed up for God in all the moments before and after. Now, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not always consistent. You're not always consistent. Man, these kind of stories kind of set a high bar. Right? And so no one is asking you today to be something you're not or to overnight become this like ultra perfect human being. It doesn't exist. But I think every single one of us can commit to get better. Every single one of us could say, God, with your, with your Holy Spirit, help me to be consistent. Help me to get up today and do the right thing. God, help me to make choices that honor you regardless of the circumstance in my life, regardless of how tired I am, regardless of how frustrated I am, regardless of the the situation that I've found myself in. Oh, God, I found myself in a job that I hate with a boss that, man, I didn't pick. Welcome to the club. You can open up your Bible to Daniel and you can be like, man, he didn't pick his boss either. He didn't even get to pick his country. He didn't get to pick where he lived. But I can still respond like he did. I can still respond how God would want me to respond. Student, maybe you find yourself in a house where mom and dad aren't making all the right right choices or doing the right thing. Guess what? You can respond like Daniel. You could say, hey, I'm going to make the right choice regardless of, of anybody else in my house. You find yourself in a place at... Uh, your work, where you're being tempted to make wrong decisions and tempted to do the wrong thing, you can say, hey, you know what? Regardless of what it costs me, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And I really believe that consistency over the long haul, these commitments to, at these crucial moments to do the right thing, those are the moments when God's going to show up for you in a powerful way. But even if he doesn't, it'll be worth it all. Because you and I are going to spend eternity with the God who loves you, who died on the cross for you, who paved a way so that you can have a relationship with him. You can have life to the full now, and you can rest assured that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. Isn't that an amazing promise today? Man, today I hope that you leave encouraged. I hope that you leave this series encouraged that, man, when you make a decision to be unshakable, That it's not because of who you are or how good you are or or any of that. But that you can live an unshakable life because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. In Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, it tells the story of these people of faith. And you saw a little video about that earlier. But it tells the story of people of faith that chose to say yes to Jesus but didn't receive what was promised yet. 
It says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. How powerful is that? Man, don't get bogged down with the thought that you're not good enough, that you can't, that you've been dealt a, car, a, a, a hand of cards in life that, that is just unplayable. Don't let culture get in your head that says you have to be X, Y, Z to serve Jesus or to, to do what's right. God's got a plan for you. And whether you see the fruits of it in this life or not, you say yes to Jesus. Because eternity is what matters. Church, you can live an unshakable life. Don't let the world, the culture, celebrity, whatever the test in your life might be, get under your skin. Resist. Know that God has a plan for you regardless of the circumstances you find your, yourself in. Amen? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. <clears throat> if you're here today and you say, Joe, I want to I say yes to Jesus. Man, I want God to show up for me like he showed up for Daniel. I want, God, I want to see God's faithfulness in my life. I want to see God's purpose living through my life. I want to have that attitude that says, even if he doesn't, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus. And so right now, if you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus yet, and you want to say yes to him today, you want to say, because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, and because he rose again on the third day, I want to serve Jesus. And that's, that's you today. Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. This is your moment where you're saying, God, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my everything. Here I am. I want to serve you. Is that you today? You say, Jesus, I want to put you first in my life. I realize I haven't been putting you first up into this moment. But from here on out, I want you to be number one. Amen. If that's your choice today, I just want to encourage you. You can pray a prayer right at your seat in your own words. I want to encourage you to talk to Jesus today. And say, God, come into my life. Help me to serve you with everything that I am. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And now every day from here on out, I want to serve you. Help me to understand your word, God. Help me to dig in and start making the right decisions. Help me to honor you with every part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Joe, I'm serving Jesus, but I need to be more unshakable. And so I'm going to pray a closing prayer. And if that's you, just raise your hand with me as we invite God to strengthen us today. God, we need to be more unshakable. God, we need to stand up to the tests in this life that, are, that come our way. God, we don't want to blame you. We want to love you. God, we want to serve you even when you don't do what we think you should do. God, we want to have an unshakable commitment to put you first. And so help us, strengthen us through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve you with our whole heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.